worship team do great today and the choir did thank you for leading us into worship today is the last day uh, we will enter in next week we will enter into a commitment time I believe God has called us to finish the task of our expansion our church began to grow when we moved into this gymnasium because of of the water situation that we had uh, that was discovered after a few days of intense rain and uh, we had to redo a lot of our storm drainage uh, issues that arose during that time. In fact, let me just say this, the amount that we owe, uh, because this that we're talking about today is debt retirement, the amount that we owe really uh, translates into the amount that we had to expend extra on the extra work that we did for the storm drainage. And we'll get a little more particular with you about that next week. If I say next week. And I believe God is going to help us. I told Brother Kyle this week, I just feel in my spirit that God is going to be our helper. Folks, this is a very spiritual event we're having. I know we celebrated those born again of the water and the spirit. But when we start talking about giving and vision and the future, that's very spiritual. So I want you to be in prayer with me today and about this sermon today. And then not only that, in prayer about what you can do to help further the cause of the gospel in this local church. Now, uh, we are moving toward a sanctuary, a final place of worship. Well, we're not sure how final it'll be if the Lord tarries 50 years. But we do know that God has called us to move beyond this border. I thank you for being patient. I thank you for working hard. I think every week somebody has to set up chairs. Every week people have to put sound systems together again. And God has been good to us. God's been good to us. So thank you for not getting distracted. Churches lose morale during those times. It's difficult, but I thank you that this church has kept its focus. And that is souls and winning the lost. I'd like to see more people saved in this community. I'd like to see more drug addicts uh, uh, delivered. I'd like to see more families brought into the kingdom of God. It's, amen. And so we give God praise today. So last Sunday we talked about the journey is my journey. Everybody say my journey. But today I want to preach the journey is our journey. The journey is our journey. Turn to your neighbor and say that, would you? The journey is our journey. What God is doing, and I know there's people here on Friday nights that cook food. There's people here on Friday nights that watch children. There's people here on Friday night that teach a lesson. There's people here on Friday nights that, that testify. There's people here on Sunday that are teaching Sunday school. And the list goes on and on. There's there's uh, events that our staff takes uh uh, our young people and children too that's life changing events the journey all of this is our journey I thank God for this church somebody say amen God's been really good to us and so today I want to lead us into a place where we can make a wholehearted commitment a commitment to this church a commitment to this local ministry I thank God for it. Whether I live or die, this church is going on. Whether you live or die, this church is going on. 
because it's founded on the cornerstone and that is Jesus Christ. It's founded on His eternal Word. So what this church is about, it's not temporal, it's eternal. It'll keep on going. Somebody say amen. So whatever happens, I believe the Lord has is, is got our future in control. He said last week, I'm going before you and I'm going behind you. And Brother McKellar came Wednesday night and told us not to give up, to endure to the end, and made the same exact statement while he's preaching. The Lord's going before you and the Lord's going behind you. I believe the Lord's speaking to us in a very particular way. I received that. Amen. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to move today by His presence. Lord, I thank You for Your Word. I pray You would do a mighty work in this place today. God, have Your way. Lord, speak to every man and every woman in the name of Jesus. We thank You for what You've done. But Lord, we know You're not finished. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank You for what You've done. But we know You're not finished yet. There are others to be saved. There are others to be baptized. Lord, we join together for the others today. In Jesus' name, move on us. Talk to us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated in the name of the Lord. The journey is our journey. Everybody say our journey. I thank God for an accepting church, a loving church. A church that says to somebody that walks in the door for the first time, this is the place you belong. This is where the family of God worships, and we are the children of the Lord. No matter what our race, our financial background, no matter where we lived or were raised or where we came from, no matter what our church background, we are children of God. Not just those that attend this church, but every person in this community that God has called us to reach and these surrounding communities, they are children of God. Created in the image of God. And whatever happens in this endeavor with us and our future as a church, it starts with our ability. It starts with our ability. Our ability. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, I'm able. I may not be able to do what I used to do, but I'm still able. <laughs> Uh-oh. But then it goes way beyond our ability, and it goes beyond our ability by faith. Everybody say, by faith. I believe God is setting us up for victory. In fact, I've heard reports this week about job opportunities and doors that are opening, and I just said in my heart, Lord, you're setting us up for victory. God is making a way. He always will. But let me say this to you today because I don't want you to be mistaken. Givers don't raise money. They raise people. It is more blessed to give than it is to what? Receive. So the choir saying, I'm blessed. Now, blessed is a KJV term. Let's just say it's more blessed to give. Did you notice the choir song? All the things that were blessed. But the Bible says it's more blessed for you to give. My job is blessed. Well, we think in terms of what's coming this way, but the Lord says it's more blessed to give 
Somebody say amen. amen. I want to tell you today, you cannot outgive the Lord. <laughs> I want to take that one step further. You can't outsteal him either. If you're going to rob from God, he knows how to get it out of you. You can't outgive him. You try to outgive him, he'll just keep on blessing you. The Lord said, it, I, I ask you to test me in this. Give and see that I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out on you a blessing that you cannot contain. Now, I want that kind of blessing in my life. <laughs> if you want that kind of blessing, would you give the Lord praise today with a hand clap? So today, we're going to talk about three things. Everybody say three things. You, you, so I guess when I get to number three, you'll know I'm getting close. The first thing we're going to uncover is the purpose. Everybody say the purpose. This is why should I give. The second thing we're going to uncover is the attitude. Everybody say attitude. How should I give. The third thing, which we've already celebrated today, the results of my giving. What happens when I give? So why should I give? How should I give it? And what happens when I do give? We're going to discover those three things. Now bear with me today. I'm going to read a bunch of scripture right now so that I don't break it up and read it all through the sermon. So we're going to read all the scripture right now. Everybody ready? Turn to your neighbor and tell them I'm ready. First Chronicles 29 and 1. I've read this a number of weeks. Furthermore, David the king said unto all the congregation. Solomon, my son, whom alone God hath chosen, is yet young and tender, and the work is great. Everybody shout, the work is great. Oh, now you shout at your kids, but it wasn't near that loud. Shout, the work is great. There you go, there's a shout. For the palace is not for man, but for the Lord God. David said this work is great. First Chronicles 29 going on to verse 5. And who then is willing to consecrate his service this day unto the Lord? Then the chief of the chief of the fathers and the princes and the tribes of Israel and the captains of thousands and of hundreds and the, with the rulers of the king's work offered willingly and gave for the service of the house of God of gold 5,000 talents and 10,000 drams, and of silver 10,000 talents, and of brass 18,000 talents, and 100,000 talents of iron. And when they whom precious stones were found gave them to the treasury of the house of the... Look at that. When those who had jewelry in their closet... When those with whom precious stones were found... <laughs> Everybody okay? Well... All right. Precious stone. <laughs> wow. Boy, that was a bump, wasn't it? I started talking about your jewelry, and you just shut me down. No, some of you's already given it to the Lord, hadn't you? When those with precious stones, those with whom precious stones were found, gave them to the treasure of the house of the Lord by the hand of Jehiel, the Gershonite, then the people rejoiced. Everybody say they rejoiced. For that they offered willingly because with perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced with great joy. You know what? It's hard to rejoice when you're not a giver. When you're a taker, it's hard to rejoice. In fact, I've discovered that takers are often depressed people. You can't give enough to those people. 
study depression all you care to, but they say really depression, if you boil it down, is is self-centeredness. They never see anything past themselves. It's a black hole. You can't ever fill it up. I'm a taker. It's more blessed to give. Well, nobody came to see me. Have you ever tried going to see somebody? Nobody asked me out to eat. Well, have you ever asked somebody out to eat? See the point? If you're not a taker, you're a giver, all of a sudden everything changes. Oh, come on, clap your hands unto the Lord today. Rejoice. They rejoiced when they gave. I want to tell you, God wants this church to have its joy back. But its joy back is not about some feeling that we have. It's connected with our willingness to give. Somebody say amen. Going on to verse 17. I know also, my God, that thou triest the heart and hast pleasure in, un- hast pleasure in uprightness. As for me and the uprightness of mine heart, I have willingly offered all these things. Now I've seen with joy thy people which are present here to offer willingly unto thee. The king got joy and all of Israel got joy. We need that kind of joy. There's a New Testament connection. Let me draw your attention to it before we get into these three points. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 12. We'll read a couple of others, but let's start here. This is, this is in a little different version, just so you can understand it. Now, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in His kindness has done to the churches in Macedonia. They, have been, they are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. Get the picture. Paul said, I want you to know what's going on in Macedonia. They are very troubled and they're very poor. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, that sounds like me. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, welcome to the church of Macedonia. Lots of trouble, not a lot of money. But look, but they are also filled with abundant joy. Man, I think we ought to rename this church Macedonia. (laughs) I wonder what we're missing there. Has anybody ever had any troubles here? Anybody got any troubles this week? One or two of us? I'd say there's many troubles. Anybody here say, you know what? I think I'm in that poor range. I don't have much left at the end of the week. But notice they were filled with abundant joy. Doesn't matter what they're going through or how much money they don't have. They were joyful. Which it's overflowing joy. overflowing in rich generosity. For I have testified that they gave not only what they could afford, look at this, this poor church, gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. Look, they begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to do. So we have urged Titus who encouraged your giving in the first place to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Everybody say finish. It's time to finish. Verse 7, since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love for us, I want you to excel also in the gracious act of giving. Excel in the gracious act of giving. I'm not commanding you to do this, but I am testing 
how genuine your love is. Uh Uh-oh. I'm not commanding you to do this, Paul said. I'm testing you. I'm seeing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that by his poverty he might or could make you rich. So here's my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year you were the first who wanted to give and you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. How many times in these verses has he said, finish what you started? I think we ought to finish what we started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly and give according to what you have, not what you don't have. 2 Corinthians 9 and 2. I told you it was going to be a lot of verses here. For I know how eager you are to help, and I have been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you in Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. What I do today affects somebody else. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get what? A generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives how? Cheerfully. And God will generously, look at this. If you give cheerfully, God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Praise God. I thank you for that word, Lord. As the scriptures say, they shall freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed to the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide the in, and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take our gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will be joyful they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Jesus Christ. Somebody give the Lord a good hand clap for his word. So we receive that word, and in that word, it leads me to three things. The first one is, why should I give? The purpose, why should I give? Turn to your neighbor and ask them, why should I give? Well, the first reason, and it's a good one, it's love. What's love got to do with it? 
Love has a lot to do with it. David recognized that on his own he was nothing, yet God had made him king over Israel and he had great riches. In 1 Chronicles 29, 15, he says, Every, our days on the earth are a shadow, there's none that are abiding. David said, Lord, you're the one that blessed me. And because of David's love and appreciation for God, he said, this is why I give, because I love the Lord. The Corinthians felt compelled to give because they were in love with Jesus Christ. In fact, the Corinthians were one of the first Gentile cities to receive the gospel, and they felt like they were indebted. Even though they didn't have a lot of money, they felt indebted to God for his grace and mercy unto them. Second Corinthians 8, 7, and 9 tells us they with enthusiasm gave out of their love for Jesus Christ. We too, church, are indebted to Jesus Christ for our salvation. Because of his love for us, I'm indebted to give. But because of my love for him, I want to give. No, you didn't hear me. I said, because of his love for me, I'm indebted to give. But because of my love for him, I want to give. Clap your hands unto the Lord. Have, have you ever noticed that everything we love, we sacrifice for? My dad wanted to play on the PGA Tour, the senior tour that is. And uh, he set a goal that when he was 50, he was going to be ready to, to, uh, to make the cut for the senior tour. I watched my dad a number of times. Uh, he would do this every day. He would hit hundreds and hundreds of golf balls every day, every day. You know why he sacrificed? He loved it. I watched him hit golf balls so long one day that his hands got to bleeding. He had blistered his hands up so bad or calloused them, and those calluses began to crack, and his hands began to bleed. And I thought, well, he's fixing to stop. And you know what he did? He wrapped a towel around the golf club and kept hitting golf balls. That towel got red with his blood. We sacrifice for what we, lo what we love. What we love, we sacrifice for. I... You know, my kids traveling late at night. I'm, I'm in bed. I like sleeping, but I love my kids more than I love a good night's sleep. And my kids traveling at night, two in the morning, they call and say, Dad, we've, we've, we've hit a coon. I had one daughter hit a coon. She said, Dad, I think I hit a coon. And I, I, I just thought, well, it's okay. I just kept on driving, and my car started sounding funny, and now it won't go anymore. What do you do at 2 in the morning when your daughter's hit a coon and now the car sounds funny and won't go anymore? You say, well, I'm sorry, honey. I was getting a good night's sleep. <laughs> I think I'll go back to sleep. Happy landings. <laughs> no, you get up, you put your clothes on, you make a few phone calls, you call, you know, you can triple A. You what you love, you sacrifice for. You cannot give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. <laughs> oh, you didn't hear. I said you can give without loving something, but you cannot love and it not affect your giving. And I don't know about you, but I love this church. I love the kingdom of God in this community. And I love what God is doing in the lives of those that sit in this room today. 
So clap your hands unto the Lord. Amen. Why should I give? Everybody say love. Well, the second thing, why should I give? Everybody say logic. This is the manly portion of the sermon. The female portion of the sermon was just mentioned. Love, emotion. Now, men, logic. Why should I give? It makes sense. Oh, you say, well, I'm not. The reason most do not give to God is because they don't think they can give and still meet their needs. See, that's their logic. If I give, I won't pay my bills. But who has the power to meet our needs? You don't. You could could be sick tomorrow and go in the hospital. You couldn't even meet your own needs. Who alone has the power to meet my needs? God. That's it. That's the simplest answer. My needs will never, if God is the only one that can meet my needs, I have news for you today. My needs will never outweigh what God owns. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. My needs will never outweigh. Have you ever seen somebody, you know, met somebody made a lot of money or read about them on the Internet? Some of these coaches that coach football teams, isn't it amazing what they make? And you think, man, I'd be set if I made that much money. Hey, do your little Google search. Everybody okay? Do your little Google search. Not now, because some of you do it now. Not now. But when you get home this afternoon, I want you to just check out what happens to people that win the lottery. They win all those millions. I want you to find out how many of them are living in big houses and driving big cars still. You know what? Most of them don't have a dime left. Because we think, well, if I could supply my own needs, I know what it takes me. If I could have a couple of million, I'd be set. No, I want to tell you what. A few lung transplants can take every dime of it. No, no, you're not hearing me. We say, this is what I need to survive. No, I want to tell you something. A debilitating illness can rob you in a moment. Only God knows how to supply your needs. And what I need, he always has in his resource. Always. Come on, clap your hands unto the Lord right now. Hey. And speaking of lung transplants, since that's a real appropriate uh, terminology, especially here at Salem, you never have enough money for a lung transplant, do you? But God knows how to supply your needs. You're not hearing me this morning. (laughs) Who has the money for cancer treatment or long-term rehabilitation care? None of us. But God knows how to supply your need. Oh, yes, he does. I feel like preaching now. There are resources that we can count on when we serve the Lord. God knows how to make a way. I said God knows how to make a way. I said the Lord, hey, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. God's people are gonna be blessed. Come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. I give because it's logical. It's it makes sense. So that means it's impossible for us to outgive God and following this logical progression, stay with me. If God is the source of all resources and everything I have belongs to God and God blesses me according to what I give back to him. Wait a minute. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, Paul said, remember this, a farmer who plants a few seeds 
gets a small crop. But one who plants generously, what? Gets a generous crop. That says God blesses according to what I give back to him. I thank God for what this church blesses me and my family with every week. But God doesn't bless me according to what I receive. He blesses me according to what I give back. Anybody hearing what I'm saying? If that's the case, and God supplies all my needs when I give to him, according to 2 Corinthians 9, 8, God will generously provide all you need, then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. If those four facts are true, then I would be stupid not to give. I hate to put it in good old Louisiana vernacular, but I'd be stupid. If that's true, I'd be stupid not to give. It's logical to give. John Bunyan made this statement. There was a man, though some did count him mad, the more he cast away, the more he had. Huh. Third thing, third reason we ought to give is our legacy. Everybody say legacy. There was an immediate need, yet the acts, their actions had a long-term effect. Paul said to the church at Macedonia, he said, you know what? You're not only affecting the immediate, you're affecting the future. I want you for just a moment to picture in your mind the first church that ever met your needs, the first church that ever made an impact in your life. For some of you, it will be here. For a lot of us, it will not be here, and that's okay. The first church that made an impact on your life. Let me ask you a question. Who built that church? Somebody lived before you and they sacrificed so your needs could be met. You know what? Now it's my turn. Now it's my turn to leave a legacy for the next generation. Albert Schweitzer once said this, whatever you have received more than others in health, in talent, in ability, in success, in a pleasant childhood, in harmonious conditions of home life, all this... You must not take to yourself as a matter of course in gratitude for your good fortune. You must render some sacrifice of your own life for another life. It's about somebody else. The fourth reason as to why I should give is leadership. Everybody say leadership. Leadership is probably the most important purpose for our giving. Our gifts lead others on their spiritual journey. David was give, what, David's giving was to lead his son Solomon and the nation of Israel toward God. David gathered materials, and his son had an opportunity to grow because of it. In the New Testament, the Macedonians got excited about giving when they saw the Corinthians make a commitment to give. We are leading by giving. That leads me to the second point of this sermon, my attitude. Everybody say attitude. How should I give? How should I give? Well, I guess the first one would be willingly. Not under duress. Second Corinthians 8, 12 tells us it doesn't matter how much we give, but how we give. David said to Israel, offer it willingly in the willingness. If the willingness is there, the amount doesn't matter. A young person say, I'm going to give $5 a week if the willingness is there. It is just as important as any other amount that's offered willingly. 
Giving has nothing to do with our assets, but has everything to do with my attitude. In fact, uh, and I hurried, I hurried to a close. In fact, when you study the verses, listen, listen. When you study the verses, the whole nation of Israel combined, combined, only gave a little more than David gave by himself. Well, you say, well, the king was richer than everybody. Absolutely. He gave almost as much as the rest of the nation of Israel. Think about that. The leader gave almost as much as the rest of the whole nation. Yet, the Bible says everyone offered willingly. Did you hear that? The Bible does not say David really pleased me and the rest of them just kind of filled in. No, the Bible says everybody, from David who gave a whopper to the little widow who had one mite to give, everybody was in the same place. They offered it willingly, cheerfully. So God does not require us to give equal amounts. He just wants us to give cheerfully. Somebody say amen. Second way, attitude I should have is wholeheartedly. Everybody say wholeheartedly. That's what the word means. That's what willingly offered means. Wholeheartedly. That means consecration. Everybody say consecration. Consecrate means to give 100%. God doesn't want half-hearted commitments. He wants consecrated commitments. Somebody say amen. And if they'll come to the music, I'm moving to the results of what happens when I give. Think about it. Think about it. We just saw 26 names of people who were filled with the Holy Ghost in the last six months. I give God praise for that. We just saw 23 names of people that were baptized in Jesus' name in the last six months. That's names that heaven rejoiced over. What happens when I give? How should I give? Why should I give? Well, what happens when I give, what are the results? Well, the first one, people follow. People follow. In First Chronicles, the giving started with the leaders. David gave first, then the rulers, then the princes, then the commanders, then the overseers, and then whoever. In fact, let me ask you a question. What level of leader are you? There's a lot of people in the church that think, think they're a leader, but they're not much of a giver. Uh oh. Leadership doesn't just mean everybody listens to you when you open your mouth. Leadership doesn't just mean what position you hold in a church. Leadership's connected with how you give. We need leaders in this church. Somebody say amen. Maybe there are some in this room that don't think of themselves as a leader, but everybody leads somebody. I want to teach my children what it means to give. Amen. It's getting tight, but it's okay. You know what else happens when people give? Not only do people follow, people rejoice. <laughs> rejoice. You ever heard that song, Don't Wait Till the Battle's Over, Shout Now? I got a couple of Don't Don't wait till the battle's over. Shout now. What does that mean? That means don't wait till the miracle happens. Act now like it's already happened. Let, let's think about 
How, what kind of rejoicing? What is that Sunday going to be like when we open the doors for the first time into a sanctuary where the sound's already set up, the chairs are padded, your circulation isn't cut off, you're not numb by the time service is over, and, and the chairs are fine, they're good. Am I hearing what I'm saying? I'm not knocking what we have, but I am saying this. What's going to happen in the day when we walk in and, and the lights are there and the air condition's on and, and, and we walk into a worship service? You know what? There's going to be rejoicing. Well, I'm going to tell you what I think. It's not okay to rejoice when Pharaoh's drowned in the water. You ought to be rejoicing in the night when you don't know what's going to happen. You ought to act right now like it's already done. I thank God for it. He's going to make a way. It's going to happen just as sure as we're standing and sitting here. God's going to make a way for us. And so I want to give him praise today. I want to give him praise today. People rejoice. I'm going to rejoice now. Turn to your neighbor and tell him I'm going to rejoice now. Turn to your neighbor and tell him I'm going to rejoice now because God's about to give us a miracle. Say it. I'm going to rejoice now because God is about to give us a miracle. Tell them I believe what I'm saying. Last but not least, you know what? People follow, people rejoice, and people grow. People grow. Thank God for what happens here on Friday night. Thank God what happens here in the youth service in the old sanctuary. Thank God for what happens on Sunday in classrooms. But you know what? I'm believing that this church is going to grow. I believe it is growing. I don't believe this gym will hold. I don't believe we have the facility for all the people that are addicted to drugs. No, you didn't hear me. I said we don't have the room for everybody that's addicted for drugs. We need to make room for those others who are yet to come. I think we ought to make a room at the altar. I think we ought to make room in the baptistry tank. I think we ought to make room in the church house. People grow. 2 Corinthians 9 and 10. For God is the one who provides seed to the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he'll provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest. God wants a great harvest in this city. I God wants a great harvest in this community. And God can do more through us than we can ever do on our own. Somebody say amen. Now we are wisely and prayerfully going forward. I tell you what we're not going to do. We're not going to strap ourselves to such a degree that we can't give to missions and we can't give to outreach endeavors in our community. We're not going to be begging for the next 30 years for money, I'll tell you that. So that means I'm not going to go over there and dig ground for a church of 2,000 because that just wouldn't be too feasible now, would it? But I tell you what I can do. I can believe that God is going to touch this community in such a way that there'll be churches sprout up around this area that we don't have to think in terms of everybody's got to come here. No, but we're going to have the ability to minister to other people. What does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what it means. God wants to do something right here, but I also understand that God is not just working right here. So give the Lord a good hand clap if you thank God for leadership that's prayerfully going forward. We're going to grow. Everybody say we're going to grow. 
We're going to grow as people, but not only will we grow, we'll be enriched in everything. God will bless us materially, socially, and physically in all other aspects of our lives. You'll be blessed in the city. You'll be blessed in the field. The choir sang it. God will increase your harvest. When does he do that? Well, you know when he usually does that? He doesn't... It'd be nice, Sister Sandy, if the Lord, if if this week before next Sunday's commitment, if I walked out on my porch and there was a UPS delivery there and it was a box and it said Calvin Jean, 520 North Broadway. And I look at the return address and it says from your neighborhood angel heaven and I I think God sent me a package and I go in my house and I tear it open and there's a hundred thousand dollars in it with a little note that says give this next Sunday you know what I'd be foolish to come in here and say I got fifty thousand to give I remember in Acts, somebody got killed for that. Talk about how serious giving is. Yeah. It'd be easy to give 100000 Brother Mac, if God dropped it on my porch this week. Oh, I'd give it. But you know what God usually does? You know what he used? What did he do with Abraham? I'm going to make your seed as the stars of the heavens. But he only has one son. And what does he ask him to do? Go kill him. God usually asks me to take the step of faith first. Then he meets me on the top of that mountain, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. Brother Gene, if I had it, I'd give it. No, if you give it, God will make sure you have it. No, no, you're not. I, I'm serious. Never, ever have I been in a mission service and said, well, God, you laid this on my heart to give. I'm surprised you didn't lay more on my heart. I've never been in a mission service and thought, now, God, why did you only ask me for 10 bucks? I spent 10 bucks at McDonald's. No, usually when God moves on me, it blows my mind. You, I don't know how I'm going to do that, God. And God said, you, you better listen to me. That's the way God works. He'll supply it. Somebody say amen. Give the Lord a good hand clap today. I feel his presence. People grow. So, I close. At the age of 30, Henry do not was already a wealthy Swiss banker and financier. He was destined for a life of comfort and material pleasures until an experience on June the 24th, 1859, changed his life forever. Henry was sent by his government, the Swiss government, to discuss a business deal with Napoleon III that would benefit the Swiss and the French and no doubt himself personally. However, Napoleon could not be found in Paris because he was already on the plains preparing for his battle with the Austrians. Do not tried to get to Napoleon before the battle started, but he was too late. When he arrived at the scene, he was forced to stop his carriage on the hillside overlooking the plain and the battle below. And as the two cavalries charged and the guns and cannons boomed, 
Henry was horrified by the scene that unfolded below him. He witnessed the terror of the injured and the dying. The screams haunted him as he stood there on that hillside. But the real horror was yet to come. After the battle, when he entered into the small town nearby, he saw the injured and mangled and dead lying helpless in every available building. He was so moved with compassion that he remained for three days doing everything he could do to help. And at the sight of the helpless, Henry forgot his selfish business plans. He decided right then and there to commit his life to abolishing war and helping people. So he began to travel all over Europe sharing his message of peace. Soon his business suffered. He went broke. His business went belly up, but he still persisted. As a result of Henry's efforts, the Geneva Conference passed the first international law against war, birthing the movement that would lead to the League of Nations and ultimately the United Nations. In 1901, Henry was awarded the first Nobel Peace Prize. Although he had lost all his money and was living in a poor house, he gave his entire prize to his organization for peace and charity. Nine years later, Henry died and has since been forgotten by the world. Nevertheless, Henry lives on through his gifts and the organization that he founded even after losing his entire business and fortune. Although you probably don't recognize his name, you'd recognize the symbol of his organization. He took the symbol of the Swiss flag, a white cross on a red flag, and reversed it, making a red cross on a white flag. And the organization he gave his life and possessions for is the Red Cross. Today, millions of people volunteer and give donations to the Red Cross all around the world. But the contribution started with the leadership of one man who made a wholehearted commitment to give to a purpose that he believed in. I don't believe it. I don't I don't believe war is a good thing. I don't believe a hunger is a good thing. But I want to tell you something else. Spiritual hunger and spiritual war is much more devastating than physical war or, or physical hunger. So this church is not just stamping out hunger or standing for peace. We are believing that you must be born again of the water and of the spirit or you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. So this cause I believe in is bigger than the abolition of war. It is in the souls of men and women who are going to spend eternity somewhere. I believe in that. I believe it's worth it. Oh, clap your hands unto the Lord today. And I close. Colossians 3, 23. Whatever you do, would you say this with me? Say this first with me. Whatever you do, let's start over. Whatever you do, do it with all your heart as for the Lord 
That doesn't say some things you do. Go to your job as if you're doing it for the Lord. Go to church as if you're doing it for the Lord. Be a father as if you are doing it for the Lord. Be a husband as if you are doing it, not for yourself, but for the Lord. I want to preach today as if I was doing it for the Lord. Somebody say amen. And I close. I've said that three times now. Just trying to convince myself. David Livingstone. Some of you may recognize the name. You can check it out later. Uh, There's plenty of information about him. He's the great Scottish missionary and explorer who made his way to Africa. And Africa got his heart. And when he died in Africa, they took his heart out of his chest, buried it under a tree, and then marched his body a thousand miles to the coast to send his body back to Britain to be buried. David Livingstone's body's buried in Britain. His heart is buried in Africa, where he gave most of his life. David Livingston, that great missionary, made this statement I will place no value on anything I may possess except in relation to the kingdom of Christ. I will use my possessions to promote the glory of him to whom I owe all. I owe my everything to Jesus Christ. I want him to know he's got my everything. Would you stand right now and I want you just to pray. God, speak to my heart today. Lord, talk to me about our future. Talk to me about my investment in this local congregation. Let me somehow today feel a part of some eternal endeavor in this room right now. You're doing something in this place. I thank you for what you're doing in China. I thank you for what you're doing in Europe right now. I thank you for what you're doing in South America. I thank you for what you're doing in Africa. But Lord, I thank you for what you're doing right here in this community. Thank you for the church that feeds me, that blesses me, that challenges me, that encourages me, that teaches me. And God, now I pray, Lord, there'd be a connection made with our hearts and your heart. That, Lord, what you desire to do in this community, God, you would tie us into it. That we would become owners of it. That we would say, Lord, you want to do it, and you're going to do it with me. Count me in, Lord. Come on, right now. Is anybody praying that right now, Lord? Count me in. Count me in at what you're doing. Come on, I want the singers to come. And I want everybody that feels led to. I don't care if this is your first Sunday or you've been here every Sunday we've had church. I want you to say in your own heart, I want to be a part of what God is doing. And you'll make a step of faith to move out of those chairs and come right up here with me and say, I thank God for this church. I thank God for the ministry of this church. And God wants to use me to see it continue. I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of it. I thank God for 26 people filled with the Holy Ghost, but I want to be a part of that going forward. I thank God for 23 being baptized in Jesus' name, but I want to be a part of the future of the kingdom of God in this community. Come on, and as you come, I'm asking God to bind us together. Come on, I'm asking God to bind us